So now I'm all nervous. The record button's going. Yeah, no, I can't. I don't. I don't know what. To say. <laughs> well, so all right. So the topic for tonight is the uh, long-awaited software as a service slash backend systems. Ah, uh, I see. So that's us. why you got Russell on because he has the same opinion as you. What? He's the one to back him up. He's like, Jake and Ben just constantly no. gang up on me. They're just mean to me. They're no, 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 no. It's no, like no. I'm the Casey on this show. <laughs> I am the Casey on this show. You are the Casey on this show. <sighs> um, Wait a minute. That makes me underscore David Smith. I'm cool. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Jake I'm is like... basically the Syracuse. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Does that leave me as Mark? I hear some hesitation there. <laughs> is he? <laughs> needs to be more critical, though. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we're really yeah, comparable. Like, I don't think you can no, there's... assign us to we're a... Kind of a... We're kind of a mixture of... You, you can't mm. put me in a box. <laughs> I think if you put Marco and Syracuse in a blender, you'd end up with Jake and Ben. I've I've got a together got some, <laughs> some nice big boxes out in the garage. I can try putting you in a box if you like. <laughs> oh, you can try. But jelly I won't is be definitely boxed. the case. They're big, hands down, <laughs> hands down. I made notes. You made notes. Mm. I never make notes. I didn't make notes. I've got like um. Because I know I'm right. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a whole screen full. Uh, see, this is interesting. I haven't come to this topic with a, a strongly held I'm, opinion. I'm joking. A loosely held, loosely informed. No, we want we strongly, want strongly held, held opinions. Ill-informed, strongly held opinion. Well, you guys I haven't got one of those. <laughs> no one's going to correct us next week. Or well, next mine's week. not ill-informed either. Chris. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I, I am keen to talk about. Um, the the server side of mobile apps because I think we I actually think we touched on this we've touched on it before yeah but since we touched on it before I I feel like my perspective at least has changed a fair bit mine has not changed yes. <laughs> I feel like the world has changed a little bit <laughs> so like I I've I think that when we touched on it before we all kind of agreed that um no app is an island we may have said that sounds like the sort of thing I'd say. Sounds like a good line. Sounds like, like you yeah. try to write a blog post. <laughs> that first paragraph is usually the one you should delete. <laughs> hey, I didn't know that. And the last That's, one. Yeah. And then good to know. you're left with nothing. Um, no. So what, your blog posts two paragraphs yeah, long? <laughs> just the first and the last paragraph, the ones that need to be deleted. <sighs> um, no, I guess I think when we touched on this in the past, we all agreed that these days pretty much all mobile apps have some back end some interaction with the internet. It's very rare, the app, that is just completely client-side. Yeah. Is that reasonable? Mm-hmm. I think it is. But I also think since we talked about it, that's even become more the case. Like, I'm re- I really, really struggle now to think of a single app that I use that doesn't interact with the internet. Camera. Camera roll. I send pictures to iCloud, iCloud photo? photo sharing. Yeah, mine all go to the internet. Let's see this one. Yeah, and they go on Dropbox. And your camera rolls backed up to iCloud, so that only the I'm using. Have you guys updated to? But I want Plus Plus. Ooh, I get retrieves ads from the internet. <laughs> I think that's pushing the that's pushing it definition. I take screenshots of my Pedometer Plus Plus screen and Crossing share road. them over no, social wait. media. Cross game, road, game, game center, center. Uh, game center. Uh, After... Hey, are you what? playing that on Clock. Android, Russell? What's that? <laughs> Are you playing Crossy Road on? <laughs> I give you clock. You better, you better believe I'm playing the Crossy Road. Is it on Android or iOS? Yeah, it's on Android as well. Oh, so you can't add me on Game Center because yeah, yeah. I'm the I'm the Crossy Road champion. Oh, come on! What's your high score? I have to look it up. 
I think it's three seventy six. Is that right? Is that right? I don't know. I haven't. I, I have to open it. I have never seen your name. I on still the road. haven't. I do, but I don't see his top score. I only see his like most recent. Yeah, or bugged it out is. score. Yeah, I jumped I past my own score the other day, going thirty. What the hell? I feel like it does. It's like it does like a recent one, or maybe your lowest or something. I don't know. Three seventy six is mine. Oh, you're catching up, Jelly. Three forty seven. Yeah, I'm getting close. I told you. I told you I was getting can, close. Can we just move along from this depressing conversation? Of course, I, we haven't score. heard Russell's score yet. What's your score, Russell? Uh, yeah. What? I can't find it. That's weird. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm with you. Oh my gosh, I'm ninety something. <laughs> yeah, I, I jump over you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy. See, this depresses me that our scores are not cross-platform. Ooh. So this, this, yeah. this comes. I think this comes in. Will come into our conversation. So I, look, I think I, I kind of we've kind of proved our own point here, which is pretty much every app these days, except clock. Except for clock, I give you clock. Doesn't clock sync its time? No, the system does that. Okay, yep, fair enough. Yeah, I wonder if clock does anything. Like, if you add a clock on one device, like for your world list of world times, do the, do you get them on another device if you pick up your iPhone and iPad and they're logged into iCloud? Oh, very good question. Let me see. And if I'll you see. don't, you should. Let me see. What, Give me what? two seconds and okay. I'll open it up. Okay. Where's the clock? Clock? Come on. Oh, no, hey. stop it. Why are you trying stop. to find that? I've got this for you in French. Il n'y a pas une application qui est un il. What? <laughs> no application is in Ireland. Thank you. My world clock Ooh. on my iPad, my not very often used iPad, and my phone are different. There you go. Interesting. Come on, Apple. No syncing. Um, it's as if they don't really have a very good cloud services back end with which to sync data. I mean... Okay. Well, let's 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 you know. How about let's start the show because okay, have we um, started? But can we kind of have? But we kind of have. Can Rusty do the whole lot in French? <laughs> uh, oui. Merci. Merci bien. Uh, je voudrais une baguette <laughs> avec fromage. I don't Ooh. know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just said he he has a breadstick with cheese. I don't want to know that, Rusty. I know ça plan pour moi. What's that? I don't know. Oh, so you don't know? I I used to think it meant that airplane's for me, but it doesn't. Isn't it that simple? Simple for me. Okay. There you go. Hi. You are listening to Mobile Couch. Salut. Bonjour. Okay. (laughs) Okay, we're going to do that, are we? Right. Good. Yeah. Cool. This show is hosted by... Jake McMullen. Hello. <laughs> you had the opportunity. Ah, uh, whatever. And Ben Trengrove. I'm in Australia. You Whoa. are in Australia. You're like right there. You're the realest I've ever seen. In you. the studio, on the couch. And alternate Ben Trengrove, <laughs> a.k.a. Rusty, a.k.a. Russell Venovich. And uh, this is episode number 49. It's like the... We should have saved this for episode 50, because that would have been amazing. Hmm. Thanks, but, um, guys. Don't get me on so, your 50th episode or anything. So this is like the, um, this is like the not quite 50th episode. Hmm. Let's go with that. Let's, let's. And today, tonight, this evening, this week, this fortnight, we are talking about software as a service slash back-end services for mobile apps. Yeah. So the... F- I guess the f- I've made notes, I said. We don't have to follow my notes. But the first note I had was a question that I thought we could all answer. Okay. 
Okay. Why is it important? Why does server-side code, back-end code matter for mobile app developers? Mm. Mm. Because it opens your app up to a world of possibilities or to just to the world in general. That's awesome. Yeah, it allows you to break out of your little sandbox. Mm. And it's quite often some of your users want as well. Mm. Like mm. They don't, these days they don't just have a phone. They might have an iPad. They might have a laptop. It's nice to have everything kind of talk to, you know, your app to talk to the other version of your app and everything's kind of in sync. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where I'm coming from as well. That it's that These days I don't think many people think about apps in terms of I'm going to get an app and I'm going to use it on my phone. I think a lot of people more and more think about the the internet services that they want to use and they value the things you can do with apps like they value the communities of people that you can interact with using an app like facebook or instagram or twitter or whatever and they value the like things in the real world that you can get to happen with an app like you can use the uber app to get a car to come and get you or you can use another app to buy something that then arrives at your house or information that you get from an app, yeah. like you know, the weather or the daily news or whatever. Yep. Or the content you get, podcasts you can listen to through an app, gifts, animated gifts you can <laughs> find, <laughs> Download share. and share with all your friends using GIF-wrapped. Yeah. And so I think like in all of those situations, if you, if you think of it, what is it that people are valuing? It's, it's the stuff that the app enables. And pretty much these days, all of that stuff happens on the internet and it all involves internet services of some kind. Hmm. So I kind of think if you're thinking about, and particularly when you then start to think about how to make money out of this stuff, I think that you can't consider that without considering the whole, like the whole mobile, like the whole service offering. That sounds so corny. It's not just an app. It's like everything. I think Mm. the way, the way we refer to it is you're not building an app, you're building a platform. Yeah. If that makes sense. Or a product, I guess is another way to look at it. So you're trying to build something called GIF wrapped, but it's not necessarily just like an app that you have on your phone that shows you GIFs. could be other stuff. No, well, I mean, it would be a lot less useful without, like, for instance, the major uh, internet part of it, which is the the search feature. A lot of people use it just for that. Mm. And that's all they ever use. Mm. And so I think, I mean, I I guess, so to me, that's why this server-side code conversation is so interesting Mm. that like we all make our livings out of developing software for mobile devices but these days that can't happen in isolation of the internet services that that those apps rely on um and so it's kind of interesting to spend a bit of time thinking a bit more about those services um so in thinking a bit more about those services um how about the question of single platform versus cross platform? Where do you guys stand on? Yeah, when you when you say cross platform, Jake, are you talking about so like I guess mobile platforms or backends or yeah? So I guess in thinking about the backend, how much does the the need to cater for multiple platforms come into it? So you know, obviously, as developers who do focus on iOS development, that sometimes um, one of our options is iCloud, mm. but that's a single platform proposition and. I feel like these days pretty much most of the apps I work on, if not all, I just exclude that straight away because I think that it's rare for I – I guess um, this might flow from how I've managed to figure out how to make money from mobile app development rather than developing products that I'm trying to sell to people through the app store. I'm 
focus more on sort of client services, finding people to pay me to develop apps for them. Mm. And in that, um, in that area, it's more about um, trying to create apps that make things easier for people or improve people's lives in some way, um, you know. And usually people generally, that's the broadest category of people. It's all sorts of people. People are diverse. People use a diverse range of devices and platforms and people interact with content and services in a variety of ways. So I think it's rare the situation that I'm in where I could consider just saying, okay, this is only going to be for iPhone users. There's no never. And even when we're doing apps for where iOS is the, the first platform and maybe will be the only one, the idea of having the data and the back end locked up so it's tied to that platform and people could never take it elsewhere it just seems yeah. a bit yeah, I, like, too I, short-sighted. I think it's the same with me. Like I, I, I've never used iCloud. I've never really used iCloud for, for providing back-end services because I'm always concerned that even though I'm developing for iOS on the, like right now, that doesn't necessarily preclude the the idea that maybe one day I'll do, you know, gift wrapped for Android. Um, if everything, Ooh, where is it? Can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening anytime soon. Recording gift wrap for Android. I'm just going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not happening anytime soon, and uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, the like the idea that that might happen at some point in the future. I don't want to have to go back and rewrite a whole bunch of stuff because I've decided to, you know, to open up to a new platform. Mm. I so I, I guess it's the same thing that I was talking about on the last episode where I'm always forward thinking and like that's yeah, the thing that I'm like always thinking. Paint yourself into a corner. Yeah. And end up in a situation where you've got no choices. Right. Um Yeah, and we've learned time after time that apps sometimes live way longer than, than you think they will. Like when mm. we built the original version of Pocket Weather, we probably thought you know, a year or two from now, who knows where that's going to be. But it turns out five years later, six years later, it's still going. So, yeah, I think these days we really try and be as open as we can with all our, like, server-side decisions just to, even the API, sometimes we'll add extra bits to the API that we don't even call, just knowing that if we code this now, then that's going to be handy, you know, later on if we ever do more stuff with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, going with something like iCloud, even if Google has an equivalent, I'm not sure if they do, I wouldn't wouldn't really consider either of those. Like it just seems like for all the the potential time savings you you might get and server costs you might be alleviating if if your app does grow and suddenly it becomes popular you're you're going to be super restricted about what you can do going forward. I don't understand why you'd ever go with that iCloud backend whatever it's called. I mean, well, it's free, isn't it? It's just in some it's sense you get free up to some point, but Pars is effectively free as well, if not easier to use, and you can look at the, your data. Mm. Like oh, so you can, you can look at your data. iCloud now has a web console, a bit like Parses, where you actually see the tables and you can see the records. Can't you not see user data or something? There's Good. some parts yeah, that are I private and some parts that are public. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's way too locked down. Data. And yep. just the chance, even if it's completely remote, that maybe one day you'll do Android would be enough to put me off. Or any platform. Yeah. Like when the other ones are just as easy to use. It's actually interesting. I kind of feel like as app developers... Our, we're trying to meet the needs of our users, and that's not necessarily um, directly aligned with Apple's motivations. So Apple, I think, are a hardware company, and what they want to do is meet the needs of people who buy their hardware. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't think, and I think they're a hardware company above all else. Like they provide software services. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, you know, whereas I think that all of us are thinking about, you know, if, if we, if someone buys a copy of say an iOS app from us, we consider them a customer of ours. If that person then decides that they want to move to Android or they want to access some of their content from our service via a web browser, I think we'd all want to try and accommodate that because they're our customers. We want to help them get their stuff. Yeah, right. Whereas I don't think it's in Apple's interest at all to once they've bought an iPhone to have some way that they could then get that content from an Android device. Or oh, from. yeah. I think they're all about the lock-in. I think that's actually part of their strategy. Is and to... it's really frustrating. I understand why they do it, though. Like if I was a shareholder, which I'm not, I would want them to be all about the lock-in. Like that's just that's yeah, clever. It's, it's it's smart business, I guess. Yeah. You want people to have the best experience on your platform, and you want them to feel like they can't get their stuff anywhere else. You know, if you if they find out that it's super easy to get it anywhere else, then yeah, that's an incentive for them to kind of shop around. Yeah, and I to be so. fair, Apple's not the only one. Like no, it's no, not, definitely not. Like even all the other companies that are providing the same sort of stuff. Uh, are doing exactly the same thing. Um, just I think Apple is on the on the slightly more extreme edge, though. Like Google, you can get your stuff on an Android and on an iOS device. Yeah, like but I that's can't, big... I can't load, go and load iTunes Match on on my Android phone. Yeah, sure. whereas you can have the Google Play Music subscription yeah, exactly. on an iOS. But, but that's web... because that's because the 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 companies are two, have do, two different focuses. Right. You've a- got... Apple wants to sell hardware. Google Google's wants to provide internet services. Is about services. So yeah. it it kind of makes sense that they would try to be everywhere because they have essentially the same the same you know goals as we do for yeah. their own services. Which to be fair, Apple have much the same goal for like you know their iCloud interface with on the web and that sort of stuff. Like I I know it's not. I know it's not perfect, but like basically all the companies are looking out for their own, their own customers and not, or, or hmm. and not, not necessarily the customers of the people that they're also, you know, essentially uh, are sitting on their platform. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess the difference is with Apple, you're only their customer while you're buying their hardware. Yeah. Right. Whereas with other companies, you're buying their services or you're using their services. Yeah. And that's because they're a hardware company first and not a services company, to be fair. Yeah. One, I wonder what would happen. This is never going to happen, but just a little thought exercise. What do you think would happen if Apple separated their hardware business from their software services business or their internet services business? So that they both had to be profitable. So they were separate. Imagine they just split. Right. Would uh would I you know iTunes match for Android, um, iPhone like iCloud photos for Android, um, yeah, you would think pages so. and numbers. You know, you would I would think so. Uh, it it would make sense because if they're two different companies and uh and Apple's software services need to you know basically continue to make revenue enough to uh, you know support themselves, then they're going to have to go mm. where the target markets are, which is I mean which is partially why Google is on all the platforms because yeah. you go to where all the where all the your audience are. is. It's fascinating. It's a bit of a sidetrack. It is. I think so. I think what we've kind of come to is that um, we probably wouldn't choose something like iCloud as the back end for an app. Um, or I think there are very limited circumstances. Ben, you asked the question, how, you know, when would you ever use it? Yeah. The one example is I, I can think of is if you've got really limited resources in terms of you know, you're a single developer just getting into this and you wanna, you've got iOS skills and you want to quickly get a back end up and running. Well, or if you don't have any, if you choices. don't have backend, if you don't have backend skills, 
and you don't really have the time to do it, then iCloud is an obvious is an obvious choice. Choice, but there are others. I'd still choose Pars. <laughs> so before we get <laughs> into the others, how much is a Facebook page, Ben? We have to know. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Speaking of, you gave me free ads once. I feel like I feel like I need to disclose a conflict uh, before we continue this yeah. discussion too much. Um, Microsoft are paying me um, to run some Azure workshops in the coming months. We haven't even mentioned them yet. No, so I'm mentioning them now. When um, I say, well, do we pause, have to say this up front? Well, I I, I, I feel like I need to say it up front because um, Microsoft aren't paying me for my opinion of their platform, um, and the fact that they're paying but me, they're gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna get it. Um, and the fact that uh, they are paying me to run some workshops um, may or may not influence what I think. I, I don't so know gonna how wish much they had it has. Paid you. I, I can tell. But I just thought I'd <laughs> tell people in case. Yeah. Now I feel like I can freely talk about their platform. Without well, they're not sponsoring the show. That's the that needs to be straight up. We're not sponsored yes. by Microsoft or anyone other than our patrons, patreons, <laughs> our patrons, patrons on our, Patreon on Patreon. Um, but anyway. So there are other choices, right? Other than iCloud, we've mentioned two pars. I um, think as you are. I think we need to also take note of the fact that there is like a completely separate set of o- options uh, to things like pars and as you are. This is my iCloud. next question in my notes. Okay, What's build, your build your own. Yeah, you could build or your own. or use a platform as a service. Or you could use that, I guess. What do you guys think about that? Well, personally, I, I build my own because. And for that's for a lot of different because reasons. Jelly trusts nobody. I trust nobody. Yeah, I, I've I've had a lot of um, I've had a lot of struggles with third party like third party things in the in the past, and I I know that Pars is and I've I've used Pars to some extent. Um, I have not touched Azure, um, and I know that they're relatively open. And the idea is that you can kind of access all of your stuff and like and that, that sort of thing, but they're also relatively new. And uh, I don't necessarily know that they're going to be around for the long term. Part first, which is, I mean, whether or not you agree with me, that kind of doesn't really matter. I prefer the like. I'm I'm very much about knowing what's going on 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 the inside. I I like my low level kind of stuff as far as my backend is concerned. And I've and I I mean I've been working with PHP for. 13 years now it turns out which makes me feel terribly old but uh the you know i'm so i'm so used to it and i said i said on the last episode that you know working in it is kind of like comfort coding and it really is like i just i know it so well that i can just smash out something and i know it's going to work and i know that i know how it's how it's set up and i know that it's gonna you know i i can trust it yeah i can completely relate to that after spending about three days last week not doing making any progress with node eventually i did yes but there were uh dependency conflicts i was using a node module that required a node module dependency and there was another node module pre-packaged with the service that was different version of the one i was using and yeah it took a while to figure out um but that feeling of just not not knowing it back to front of being a little bit like i've just got to trust that this this is working and if it doesn't i'm a little bit at a loss as to where to poke around to it should also be mentioned that like i've i've worked because i have done contract work with php stuff in my previous lives um i i've worked with like completely undocumented cmss 
uh, where I've had to build new functionality into it and dealing with lots of stuff where I really don't know, like I'm basically like treading water, except it's code. I'm trying to imagine yeah, how that would look. Treading code. And it's and it's horrifying. Like not knowing what you're doing, like is is really, 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 really problematic. Mm. And uh, if if it means like if you're building something that you want to last, and you're building it on something like that, you don't necessarily you don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of, and you can't necessarily trust wholeheartedly. You need to be able to trust your backend services wholeheartedly because they are very important. Mm. In in many cases, anyway. Yeah, I think those yeah. are good points. I think mm. I'd agree with you guys. Is that my preference is to, yeah, to to build it all ourselves. And I, I, the same as Jelly. Like I have sort of eight years of background in server programming type stuff. Not in PHP. The language is evil. Just so we get that on the table. <laughs> oh no, I do. It's, it is completely evil. But it just to me, it's it feels really comfortable. Like I can just slide into it. You know, spend a few hours coding some stuff, deploy it, and, and feels exactly the same. He's even better at it than I am, so it feels weird to us to actually go and look at something like Azure or, you know, even managed um, stuff like AWS and everything else. We just prefer to, you know, set up some some raw VPSs, put the operating system of our choice on there, and just configure them. And that for us is like a really quick, simple process. It's it's easy to change. It's easy to fix when there's you know weird performance stuff going on. It's it's pretty easy to jump in there and and figure out what's going on. It just feels really comfortable. And I I don't know if that's just us, but I do wonder that, you know, to be like a quote unquote modern uh, mobile developer that you kind of have to have some, some backend knowledge. Like even if it's a knowledge of, you know, how to get around various other web services that are provided by people, you kind of, you need that. And the more you know, obviously the more flexibility you have. So yeah, in all our stuff, it's a lot of it's mainly Ruby on Rails and that's mainly for the, the convenience of it. I mean, it's a nice enough language. It's a nice enough framework. And then a lot of the the low level stuff is coded in Java, which probably a lot of other people find icky, but we find super fast and performant. So there cool. you go. What sort of um, Java web frameworks do you use? Do you use uh, none? So none. we just run Java processes, as in just raw. Uh, oh right, just, just Java, a Java process without a web framework at all. Yeah, yeah, Java. A lot of Java web frameworks are really heavy, and a lot of them are quite evil and, and memory hungry and whatever else. So mm. I'll give you an example. We run, um, like for Pocket Cast, we run parsing nodes. So this is this whole thing that Marco's been going on about for the last month or so. Ours are all written in Java, and it's just like a single Java process that it fires up. It kicks off about thirty threads. You know, there's a queue of stuff that it it kind of churns through. It parses podcast feeds. It finds new episodes. It sends those back to the server, and that's just one Java process running on a the machine and we kick that off just from the terminal and we just, we have separate things that just monitor it to make sure it doesn't you know die and nothing weird happens and then all the the ruby and rail stuff i think runs in nginx and all the other frameworks that go with that how often have you had to get up at 2 a.m because your server's gone down in the early days quite often because the thing is we started off with really cheap hosting and that's that's probably a good tip for anyone starting off is don't choose the cheapest host because <laughs> half the time it's going to be their fault and the other half it's going to be yours, but there's going to be some weird uh, resource conflict. And we found really quickly in you know, all the different commands that you can look up, I think it's called CPU steal and disk steal and all that kind of stuff. Basically, how many other people on the same host as you are, are stealing all your resources? And once we move to uh, to like decent providers, these days I'd say maybe once every six months. Like I can remember about six months ago, um, a whole bunch of our disks failed. And we got a message from Linode, who's our provider, saying, you know, sorry, guys, catastrophic disk failure. 
um, we can migrate you over to here. And we actually ended up with some corrupted, you know, MySQL databases. So we had to restore those from from backups. And that was probably about a four hour or so ordeal. But that's hmm. that's quite unusual. Like a hmm. lot of the stuff just ticks along. This Java process that I was talking about, that's been running for like six months, like zero problems. We don't even like restart it every night or anything like that, as far as I'm aware. There's a another thing that we do, just a fun thing that I wrote, which um, basically for all the, the podcasts that we have in our database, it goes and grabs their image and then makes, I think, about 10 different thumbnails and puts those on like a, a thing where we host it. And that just turns through like, you know, hundreds of thousands of podcasts making these little thumbnail thingies, things using image magic. And that's the same thing. That's just a, a – we even kicked that off with Cron, I think, which is also evil, just like PHP, but it works. <laughs> So it you know kicks off once every six hours, crunches all those things, and then goes back to sleep. Yeah, cool. So it sounds—I mean, it sounds like you and Jelly are in furious agreement here that building your own has a lot of benefits. I think it does. That you've got complete do. control over. I guess when I think about it, I was kind of framing it in terms of, of again a few questions. And to me, there's the question of um, when considering whether you build your own or use a platform as a service, something to think about is what's what's the cost so both what's the upfront cost versus the ongoing cost and i mean that both in terms of time in terms of money but also in terms of skills and knowledge prerequisites um and stress as well so ben your question about how often have you had to wake up in the night um it's really great to hear us it's only been like once in six months but to me yeah, but that's, that's now though like yeah like i said when we first started it was probably once every few weeks like and, when pocket weather first kicked off we were on a service called Pingdom. I don't know if you guys have. Yeah, heard. yeah. I use that to find out if tickets are out for WWDC. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good way of saying, like, is this service running? What's the response time? That thing used to go off like every week, and it was the most annoying thing because it would be Saturday, you know, two p.m. in the afternoon, and Bing, Bing, you know, Pocket Weather's down. You're like, oh, get out the laptop, you know, connect to the internet, SSH in, and you basically waste your weekend. Which is yeah. that and is that- the downside of running your own servers. If someone else is hosting it. And something weird happens and, you know, not your problem. But if, if you're the one sort of setting up your own setup and quite often like we've screwed configs up as well. We've deployed things that don't work. We've, you know, deployed things that don't scale very well and then, you know, your phone goes off. Uh, yeah. Often on the weekend. I don't know why the weekend <laughs> maybe is when people use a whole bunch of stuff. So there is that. I mean, it hasn't happened recently, I think, just because we've had so much experience in setting that stuff up now. But, yeah, the first couple of years, it felt like it was every few weeks that, you know, some major disaster would go off. I think I think like experience is kind of the key word there too as well. Like because when if you've got a if you've got experience in setting these things up and you're doing it on a regular basis, then you you're actually going to get pretty good at at it. See, I, I I to me I feel like they're different skills. Like there's development, there's and there's operations, and then there's kind of this amalgam of the two of well, DevOps. Sure. If you of work being in able a, to do. if you work in a big company, they're going to be two different people, yeah, or even two different teams of people. And so for me, I I just feel like even if the reality is that it doesn't happen that often, just personally, the the thing hanging over my head of that it could happen, and if it did, I'd be responsible, just stresses me out. And so that to me has a cost. Like I'm thinking in weighing up, do I build my own or do I use a platform as a service? Part of me goes, if I build my own, I'm going to feel stressed out about what happens if something goes wrong. What happens if um, you know, I am using an OS image that has a vulnerability that I don't keep up to date with and I don't realize needs patching and someone hacks in? What happens if you know the data yeah. isn't the, the backup job isn't running properly and I fail to notice and the data becomes corrupted and I lose customer data? And 
you know, I'm sure you can answer all of those what ifs with, oh, well, you just need to set up a thing. It'll be fine. But for me personally, I just get like, I feel a huge relief in using a platform as a service that provides all of that for you, where it's like. So what about the, the stress of when that, like, what happens if that platform goes away or changes in such a way that you need to go back and, and, you know, make changes to your application in order to keep it running? Like. Is that not as a, like a problem as well? Um, well, I, normally it's at least all in one class. Like I gen, tend to abstract that stuff out. Hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely a problem, especially if it'd be more of a problem about migrating the data. You'd hope if something was shutting down, they'd provide a nice way to do that. Yeah, uh, you would hope. I'd say the coding part would be the easy part. It'd be yeah. the, the huge, like say you had the massive app that was super popular. And Moving I mean, the, the, data the other is the side problem. of that is you've got iCloud, AWS, as you all those things go down from from time to time, and sometimes they yeah. go down and super locally as well. Yeah, like a, a node or whatever they call it will go down, and you'll just happen to be on on the one that goes down. Yeah, and yeah. then that's I mean that that's the other side of it. It's now out of your control. You just have to wait for them to yeah to fix mm-hmm. it, and hopefully you're, you're hoping that they prioritize your stuff over yeah definitely other stuff. But it's a balance. Yeah, it we, is. We do sometimes worry about you know what if what if we suddenly get you know three hundred thousand new users? What happens then? Yeah. But I guess one of the other things that so I I feel like my personal preference is to rather than build my own to use one of the platforms as a service and I've used Pars a fair bit and I've used Azure a fair bit. And um the thing that I really enjoy about using them is how quickly I can get stuff working. So I feel like the upfront cost is much lower. Like I don't need to spend as much of my time. I don't need and and I don't need to spend as much upfront money. Um and I don't need to learn as much to make progress really quickly. Um, you know, so for example, Russell, you mentioned you you've got an image magic script that does a whole heap of thumbnails, and you've got a cron job running it every so often on a VPS. Um, I'm doing a similar thing, but uh, as part of a scheduled task on Azure, um, I've got a so the scheduled task is written in Node, so some JavaScript code um, imports some data into Azure. And one of the fields is a URL to an image. Um, and I've integrated it with a separate service, a image processing service as a service. <laughs> um, I'm using one called Cloudinary. Um, and it does the thumbnails for me. Uh, and sure, I could install, like I could get a, a VPS somewhere, uh, install some, you know, Unix-based operating system, get image magic on it, write a bit of code to call image magic. But I feel like the the time it would take to do that would be so like how, how long do you how long did it take you to set that up? Um, like your node thing, twenty minutes. Except it, for the bug. No, like so the, so all the, the way the, through the, to getting it running. Yeah, the cloudinary one was literally twenty minutes. Like I I I had the schedule task running on Azure, so some JavaScript code which was importing data into Azure. One of the fields was a URL, and I'm like a URL to an image. I thought, okay, I want a thumbnail of this, and I want a square crop crop to faces. Um, someone recommended Cloudinary. Um, Cloudinary, Azure has this thing where you can integrate with other cloud service providers. So I just go into the little web console and say, add a Cloudinary account to my Azure account. And so it kind of signs me up for a Cloudinary account and puts the Cloudinary credentials into my Azure portal already. And so then my Node script already has the like API keys and stuff for Cloudinary. So then I literally then just do, um, there's a Node package manager module for Cloudinary, um, added it to my, my script, and it was literally like four lines of JavaScript to say, 
you know, give a URL to Cloudinary, say, go get this image. And once you've added it, you know, crop to faces and then stick the resulting image here. And, you know, with a callback to say, once Cloudinary is finished processing, store the URL to the new cropped image alongside the original data. It's quite interesting. So how long do you reckon that would have taken had you set that up like as a script of some kind, like without the node and the cloud and area? So this is back to kind of, uh, I guess, what the prerequisites are. Where I'm coming from, I don't, I'm not up to date with like, I don't have a VPS hoster at the moment. I'd have to like figure out, do I go Linode? Do I get an image on AWS? Do I, like, where do I start? And how do I install image magic? Is there a, you know, AWS has machine images that come pre-configured. Maybe there's one with image magic on it. And, but I reckon it would have taken me a day. Maybe. Yeah, see, the, I think that's the difference. Like, you could set that up in 20 minutes. I think I wrote the first version of this in, like, an hour. So yeah, okay. So I, Like, yeah, still longer, but... Yeah. Not not a huge amount longer. No, it didn't feel like a huge time yeah. investment. I think in the end, by, by the time we finished testing it, whatever else, is about two hours. And it's interesting, the cost difference is like... So, Cloudinary, I'm currently still on the free plan, which is cool. I think I can do 10,000 images, a, add 10,000 image, images a month. A month? We do that in like a day. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so you know, it depends on the scale, right? I'm doing it for an app that will have, you know, where, where the um, the images are in a fixed set. Um, you know, yeah, there's not going to be millions of images. Um, but, yeah, that's exactly where, whereas perhaps some of these cloud services have a lower initial cost to get started in terms of time. But very quickly, if you're going to do lots with it, the ongoing costs are huge. Yeah, especially if you scale. Like, yeah. was, like depending on how large you scale, that yeah. that cost will increase. And it could get ridiculous. Yeah. And have you ever tried to use one of those uh, costage costage calculators? You know what I mean? The, yeah. the The calculator things that tell you based on really weird units that nobody understands is how much you could end up paying. And I, yeah. Phil and I have sat down for like, I kid you not, four hours trying to figure out how much we'd have to pay to host some of our stuff on Amazon. And we just like sliding the the foo bar around. It's like, I don't even understand what this is actually telling me. What am I supposed to be setting this at? I did the yeah. same thing with Heroku though. Like I played with trying to learn how to write backends and stuff. And I just wanted to skip the, the sysadmin stuff. I still wanted to write my own. I didn't want to have to worry about vulnerabilities and all that. So I thought, I'll try Heroku. And theirs is the same. Their cost calculator is like, how many dinos do you need? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one? <laughs> like, yeah. Why isn't one an option, dang it? <laughs> yeah. I want, I want to bring up, I want to go back to what something that you kind of offhand said, something about a bug. Oh, I just remembered he was talking about another part of the same app. Oh, right. yeah. This is the one I was talking about before. So the, the app I'm talking about is... um. What this one that we're doing for the National Portrait Gallery, um, and the node. Wait, wait, wait. Does it have eye beacons? I just have to know. Yeah, of course. Of course, it's got eye beacons. <laughs> Jake's developing it. Of course, it has eye um, beacons. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Um, so basically, the back end it's running on Azure. There's a scheduled task which um, grabs some XML data from the Portrait Gallery's back end. They make it available, and it's got like it's a you know about a ten meg file that's got all of the information about the portraits and metadata and whatnot. Um, and so the the scheduled task uh, loads that into Azure into a format that then makes it available to the app in a more flexible way. So I think um, sometimes, you know, like this is something I've encountered a few times where you're writing an app to use an existing data set that might be published in a sort of machine-readable form. And I've ended up sticking something in the middle anyway. And it's often because for mobile apps, like you want to have a bit of control over what size chunks the data is made available in. So, mm. for example, in this portrait gallery app, the first view is just a collection view full of thumbnails of the portraits, nice square crops to faces. 
Um, and really, from Cloudinary. From Cloudinary, exactly. <laughs> uh, there are thousands of them. <laughs> and, and, you know, you want that to be as lightweight as possible. So I don't want to get back details of the artist and the title of the work and the full description yeah, of right. the work and everything, everything, everything. So with once the data's in Azure, you can just, or any backend, you can just query for the bits you want. So you can say, give me a list of the thumbnail URL mm. for a given index, basically, um, and get the bare minimum back and it loads really quickly. Um, yeah, so the backend basically loads the data, parses the XML and saves what we're going to use into the Azure backend. And then has uses various node modules to do processing on bits of content. So uses Cloudinary to do the um, image cropping and also create thumb like different resolution versions for the different devices and pre sort of pre-calculate the lower res versions and yep. cache them on, on Cloudinary CDN. Um, there are videos as well. So I'm using Zencoder to do video encoding to prepare it for HTTP live streaming. And again, like I could set up a machine with FFmpeg on it and I could do that myself. But Zencoder is like, again, it's a node module. It was about an hour to get the account set up and integrated and to start encoding. And you pay per minute of encoded video. So again, if you end up, like it's the situation where if you're encoding thousands of hours of video every week, it's going to get ridiculously expensive. But if you've got 100 videos you need to do and it's a one-time cost, um, you know, maybe you end up paying a dollar per video. So the bug? <laughs> you want to get to the bug. Asked about? <laughs> um, so the bug was when I was adding support for Moodstocks, which is uh, natural image recognition. Yep. Um, Moodstocks does not have a node module, or at least it did not. I've written one. It's on GitHub. My first node module. <laughs> Don't use it. <laughs> or do use it and then send... send uh, yeah, send bug send reports, bug reports. To, uh, to Jake. It's terrible, but it works kind of. Um, this is your penance. Yeah, this is my penance. <laughs> so, so this was an instance where it didn't take half an hour. It took days and days. Um, and it was it was down to a stupid, this is what I was saying, a stupid dependency issue. Um, Moodstocks uses HTTP digest authentication. Um, so you need to, it's not basic auth, but digest auth. Um, and I was using Node's request module. Um, and the version I was using on my machine that I was developing on my laptop uh, supports Digest Auth, and it was working fine. And then I'd commit my code and deploy it to Azure, and it would run, and it wouldn't work. Um, I couldn't figure out why, and I spent hours and days just making slight tweaks and trying it again and Wait, logging so different things. You were developing it, it locally and then pushing it? Yeah, so it uses GitHub. You develop... Yep. Run stuff locally and when you're ready to deploy you just push to git. That makes sense. And pushing to git then causes it to be deployed to Azure and they yep. start your service running. Um and then you can log into the web console and see what's happening. Um That's how smart people deploy. Yeah, it's good. It's nice. Mm. Uh the issue was that um the node instance that was run my my Azure instance had a different version of the node request module, right. the earlier version that did not support digest authentication properly. So even though when I wrote my Moodstocks module, I expressed the dependency on the most recent version because there was already a version of the request module available in the environment. That one was being used. Um, so eventually it was a quick fix. I just had to um, go specifically edit the Azure sort of default environment to say I want to use the more recent version of the request module, please, because I need to digest all. And now it works, and it works nicely. But, um, yeah, that bug, again, I guess it's 
It's hard to debug things when they go wrong. And when it's on someone else's platform. Yeah, and sometimes, yeah. and sometimes you can't even you can't do anything about it. Um, I I believe I've I've I had complained about it when it actually happened on the show. Um, it didn't happen on the show, but I complained anyway. Um, Gifwrapped uses a, a does use a third party service in in it. I know. But that's mostly because there's a lot of work in 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 uh, pulling together gifts from all over the internet. Oh, yeah. um, that's that's, that's a huge amount of work. Yeah. Um, oh, this is the core of your app. Yeah, you think you've handed it off to a third party at this point in time? Yes. <gasps> Sorry, I had to get one more in there. <laughs> <laughs> at this point in time, yes. So, uh, I I developed uh, when I originally pushed out the like the the original uh, version of the app. Um, I developed against the 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 documentation and it was you know it was working fine and everything worked perfectly okay. Um, the documentation, mind you, has never changed. It has always stayed the same, and I made sure that I looked that up. Um, at some point, randomly, my searches stopped working. Just randomly, just you know, okay, people are starting to get no content back from searches, and it's saying that there's a problem. Um, and I kept getting new reviews about this and like yeah, all this sort of stuff painful. that was happening. Uh, and I looked into it and I basically went, well, okay, the problem is that um, originally they were sending back their, their JSON data with a JSON uh, mime type um, in the, setting the header. And mm. so um, AF networking, which is already set up to basically mm. go, okay, well, this is JSON and I'll parse it for you. Um, was pulling that and then basically going, yeah, well, this is this isn't JSON. I don't know what you're talking about. Just have, have a string, um, which was causing the app to you know basically fail. Mm. And uh, yeah, this is a problem because I mean, to, for me to fix it, I had to uh, build a new version to pl- like push it to to Apple, yeah. have them like ha- set it up so that they were would you know uh, expedite the review for it so that it would go out super quick. Um, but I tried to, you know, I tried to get in touch with with um, Giffy to you know, Giffy, whatever, to uh, get them to fix it, and like had a response from them weeks later of, oh, okay, just, oh, that's good, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> that's really that's really good. This is one of the times that I've been burned, right? So, so this I think leads to an interesting conversation: is how do you avoid this sort of stuff, or how do you guard against? Yeah, that's it? a you, particularly you build bad... everything yourself. <laughs> well, so I think that there's. And Ben, you touched on this before. I think you can still use third-party services, even ones that are as um, big or I don't know what the right word for it. Even things like um, PARS and Azure where they try and do a lot for you. Yep. You can still use those and code in a defensive way or code in a way that makes it open to change in the future. So, for example, one way in all the apps that I've written that deal with these services, I encapsulate all the interactions with the back-end service in a single class and I don't tend to use, like, PARS, I think, is pretty bad with this, that they want you to use their domain objects throughout your whole app. So you get a PF, mm. you know, say, say I'm doing a portrait gallery app, I'd get a PF portrait object, and that would be my model object, and every part of my app that touched that model object would expect a PF portrait, a PARS one. Um, I would never do that. Like, all, all of my app expects just a plain old, I guess, Swift object in this instance. Um and the one bit of my app that deals with the back end is a single class that yeah. manages the interactions. So if I wanted to change, I could just change that one class and point it to a different service. Um, but I think you can you can actually go a step further than that. So with Azure, for example, um, you can expose a RESTful. Like it, basically the API 
that you interact with is a RESTful API. They provide you with a SDK, like a native iOS SDK yep. for interacting with it, which you can use and it's pretty quick and easy to get started with. But there's no reason why you couldn't use AF networking or whatever networking code of your choice, whatever JSON parsing code of your choice, and just talk to their service endpoints. And, sure. you know, it's a pretty standard REST interface, you know, and, it, and perhaps you could even store the, the URL endpoints in a settings file somewhere that you have one, you know, so redirect from Azure to parse. Or... Yeah. And I mean, you could do all sorts of stuff. Like, I mean, one of the things that I've done since since that kind of happened was I made sure that there is a way for me to switch over my search endpoints if I oh, need cool. to. So yeah. if I want to, if I want to, I could stick my own server in, in front middle, of it right, and, yeah. and basically fix fix whatever problems as it goes through the yeah. server. I was going to ask if any of you guys have done that as a starting point. Like, would you ever use something like HA Proxy is one I've used, which is a high availability proxy, or um, Apache's BOD proxy, or just something where you can basically say, "I'm going to register my own custom domain. This app's going to point to that domain, and the only thing that's going to sit there is a proxy that'll redirect requests to an actual endpoint." We'll be able to add headers or remove headers or um, manipulate the data that comes back and forth if need be. I so. haven't had to um, at this point, and um, that's that's kind of good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of glad that that's happened because it it would uh, it would be kind of a pain to set up. But I, yeah, I I I have that option now, which I think is the kind of the main thing. You actually do need to if you're going to be using third party services, you've got you you have to think about you know, how they could fail. You can't always get every possibility. Like I, uh, the the fact that they decided not to, you know, send back the JSON MON type and it was just plain old text. Um, you could probably handle that with a proxy, right? You could you proxy could probably that request and add but, the change the MON type. But are you going to think of that in the first place, right? No, like yeah. you, you're expecting for yeah. JSON to come back and it's going to be JSON. Yeah. Um, so you can't necessarily plan for every eventuality that's ever going to happen with a third-party service, but you can you can dang well try. Yeah. And um and you really probably should dang well try if you if you're going to be relying on it for something that is kind of core to your app, like for instance, you know, searching for gifs. There's definitely a sort of level of trust you have to have. Yeah. I mean, that one sounds particularly bad. Most of the good ones will, you know, version their oh, API. It's, it's and definitely bad. They don't just change things from underneath you and break your whole app. Yeah. I, I think I think the other thing to kind of take into consideration, um, I mean, I use like uh, in, in-app, so actually doing the, the, the coding of the actual app bundle, right? We like, I think all three of us and, oh, sorry, all four of us use um, use various, you know, things like af networking um third-party dependencies that that add code to our apps that don't necessarily that we don't necessarily have full control over to it you, you generally have to source right like you can yeah. generally well yeah some most of the time but like for for certain things like for instance give also has dropbox dropbox has their yeah. own api yeah. bundle that you stick in your app um Coding against it can be a nightmare if you're trying to do things that it's not really designed for. Why aren't you running your own file sync well, backend? <laughs> I, I basically have on top of. <laughs> anyway, uh, so then when you're developing, like when you're developing an an app, like and you're using these thirty part third party libraries, you, you you have to be particular. Like you have to be uh, choose well. You look into them, you research mm. them, you make mm. sure that they work. Yeah. Um. If they don't, you do ha- t- typically have source code. Not always, but you know, you hope you dang well hope you have documentation to go with it. I think you kind of have to treat 
third party kind of services, like back end services, in a similar way. You yeah. don't always have the source code, and in fact, you probably won't. Uh, but if you have, you, you want to be able to, you want to choose one that you can kind of see into at least a little bit so that mm. you can kind of find out what's going wrong. You're not just left at a standstill going, mm. yeah, so we wouldn't, like, not iCloud then. Yeah, well, iCloud, <laughs> like you said, iCloud is 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 become more open. And that's yeah, a really good it's thing. still there's still a lot that you can't see going on. Like um, of all the ones I've looked at, it's the most opaque. That's the right word, isn't it? Least transparent. Yeah. I mean, you can't even what, hook into it with a web API or anything. Yeah. Mm. I think what you guys are getting at at the end of the day is every third party you know thing you introduce into your app or service that you use. You've kind of got to sit down and like almost form like a, a mental equation of okay, this is going to save me this much time. You know, this thing is has been tested by you know this many hundreds or thousands of of people, and is that going to be worth the potential of hey something breaks and then it's going to be a lot harder to fix because you don't know the insides of it. Like we actually had a situation with um, AF Network and iOS seven where some particular way that we were using uh, AF Network was causing like a deadlock on App Startup. And the weird thing about this deadlock is we'd never seen it in testing. Like we couldn't reproduce it. Um, the people at Apple like didn't know what the hell was going on either. We contacted them, and in the end, I just pulled AF Network out. You know, I looked at the code, and I'm like, eh, you know what? NSURL session is is pretty damn good. You don't need any of this stuff, mm. really. So in the end, it was weird. That's a really well tested, you know, highly used library that I don't think we did anything wrong with. But just there was something weird in the way we were setting up some of our sessions and things like that that would just on some people's phones not work and the only way you could get it to work was to actually you know reboot the entire phone and once we removed that yeah once we removed that dependency you know we no longer had that problem so it 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 works both ways like af networking saved us a lot of time in the days before there was nsurl session but then when that came along and that was sort of you know closer to the core we just switched to that instead and it's the same on the back end yeah i think something like azure it's really well managed and supported and you know, you assume Microsoft has lots and lots of tech technical people looking at it all the time. So downtime is probably not as much of an issue. But, yeah, you do get other weirdness when you start sort of plugging things in there. Sorry, yeah. are you going to say something? I was going to say, I just I agree with you. I think it's a matter of a case-by-case basis where you weigh that that trade-off about the time it's going to save you and also the risk. Like, So, for example, the um, you know, this question of manipulating images, something like Cloudinary or something like Image Magic, um, I feel comfortable making decisions where I'm not locked into it. So in this case, it's a scheduled task that runs. Um, if for whatever reason Cloudinary seems to not work anymore, I could just change that. So it's so as part of the scheduled task, it, I could install Image Magic on a VPS somewhere and you know kick that off instead. Um, I'm not locked into it. Whereas the decision to use, say, Azure as the backend, for example, is a little bit more locked in because the iOS app itself has got. You know, I'm not, I'm not using the raw networking libraries to interact via their RESTful interface. I am using their SDK. Yeah. Um. So there's some dependency there. If if for some reason Azure goes away next week, yeah, I'd be in a bit of a bother. Right. But I think I've weighed that, and I think that risk is low. And- yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I think it's a fairly low risk that something like Azure is going to go away. It's probably also fair to say that something like Pars is not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, at least now um, they're owned by someone big. Yeah, but especially considering they're owned by large companies, Facebook. Pars by Facebook, Azure yeah. by Microsoft. Yeah. Um, and AWS is, <laughs> AWS is one that I've used um, lots of bits of. Like, yeah. AWS is slightly different in that it's not a... Um, 
It's not like a mobile platform as a service in the sense that it's trying to provide a, a single it's point a, of interaction for your mobile app. It's a series of three-letter acronyms. Yeah, a whole heap of them, <laughs> of which... And there are iOS SDKs for a bunch of them. So, for yeah. example, one I've used is um, the simple mail service, SMS, which is weird because it's mail, yep. not yep. message. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> simple email service? S- I don't know. Um, but basically, it's, you know, you can programmatically send an email via Amazon's web services at the cost of like, I don't know, I think you get a million emails for a cent or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of services Maybe out there actually that do that, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, there's a bunch of them. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I think those big ones, you're right, the big ones are unlikely to go away anytime soon. Um, they seem to be pretty widely adopted, lots of people using them, people building bigger apps than I'm building on them. Um, but at the same time, there is always that trade-off. But I kind of... I guess reassure myself by at each point saying, okay, if this one particular module, this one particular dependency I'm about to put in, if something went bad with that one, how much am I tied to it? Does it mean a change to the app that's in the app store to, to change? Or is it I've got to f- change something on the back end so you know the script I'm running calls some other third party service instead or um and so I guess the the more risky dependencies um are those that are easier to change yeah and i th- and i think like i don't i don't necessarily think you're wrong for choosing like third-party services to, to but you are. power apps <laughs> well i think it's deep I, on the inside i like to think that <laughs> so I, I again i think it comes back to the the trade-offs right i mean i'm yeah. really comfortable doing it for an app that has um a smaller number, you know, if if I was developing an app that had a chance of becoming a huge success with millions of users, um, where I'm suddenly having to scale the back end really big and it could potentially get really expensive on one of these platforms, mm. um, I might feel a bit less confident about it. Yeah, I don't think I'd build a business on one. Like but I was even then, to like start a business that I know people that have. Yeah, and the costs are not huge, right? If people that have got really successful apps running on something like Pars. And, you know, it's still I still think they're on the free tier. Um, yeah. So I guess yeah, I'd be more worried in the in those circumstances. And I guess I'd I'd want an even greater ability to make changes if I needed to. And that's um, it, but that's just like another another thing that you've got to weigh in when you when you're making the choice. If you're You've got to consider whether or not you know you're going to be using Cloudinary to you know to parse a hundred a hundred images a day, or if you're going to be using it to parse a hundred thousand. Yeah, because that's going to matter. It will completely matter. If you're doing a hundred thousand, no way would I say use it. Yeah. I would say <laughs> clearly use your own <laughs> yeah. server, right? With your own image processing code on it. And uh, and I think like th- there's a lot of different kind of factors. There's the there's the the potential cost and whether or not you think your uh your app is going to be you know popular enough to make it make that unfeasible. There's your experience. If if you're experienced with building this something something like Cloudinary, then just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Like if it's a, if it's not going to take you very long to actually set it up and you know it's going to be solid, then just just go ahead and do it. Um. But I mean, and as well, like... And give if... me an API endpoint so I can use yours. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Sorry, go on. I, I just, I think like, I mean, I, I tend to use my own services as, uh, for most things and especially, and where I can really, um, basically where I have the, the power to, you know, to do that and mm. do it, do it well, which is why I'm using 
Giphy. I choose to do that because it's it's really easy for me to to do that, and I I know how to set it up. I know how to spool up a server really quickly. I can get you know get a get everything going really really fast. And I've built up I've not only built up experience over the years, but I've built up libraries that I I can now use, which is I think the other thing. You build up experience, you yeah. know how to use services, and you just kind of. But I don't mean to to discount how fast you are. Like I'm sure no, you no, are. No, 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 I'm not. But I am absolutely blown away by the variety of services there are out there on the internet that just do one little thing like Cloudinary doing image manipulation. Another example I use today is uh, pusher.com, which is uh, a web sockets, like hosted web sockets. Um, again, really simple to go into. Azure has this thing where um, you can modify what happens on insert or on update or on delete or on read. So for a given entity, um, you can go in and say, here's the script that runs on insert. So whenever a new row is added to the table for this entity, by default, it doesn't do anything special. But you can go in there and just write a little bit of JavaScript to do something different if you want. Um, so a quick example is I set up a pusher.com account, which is a hosted WebSockets, um, and I wrote uh, a couple of lines of JavaScript so that when a record is added to a table, um, it sends a message over a WebSockets channel to any subscribed yep. subscribers. Um, just with the details of what was added. Um, and then I could use Push's iOS SDK and Android SDK to add with about four lines of code in each app, um, code that then subscribes, connects to pusher.com, subscribes to that channel, listens to the event of something being added. And then I have kind of real-time, like whenever a, a row is added to a table in my back end, it appears in the app in real-time. That was like, you know, half an hour or so. And I just, that's just one example. It's like, I'm just completely blown away that I think back to 10 years ago when I was doing server-side web development in Java. Existed. Like if I wanted to do something like that, it would be months of work to like hook up all the bits. And for each each example, like I give you, someone out there is probably going, oh, WebSockets, that's really easy. You could host your own WebSockets. Like it's half an hour. I just set up my own VPS and have WebSockets. But for me to like, yeah, to be able to, discover a new service, integrate it with a backend and have it running, you know, and get something done even within a day. And then to be able to repeat that over and over again with like a variety of different services. I'm just kind of amazed at what you can do as a single person on these platforms that, you know, just a short while ago I felt would have taken like a team of 10 and Right, but I I, th- I think I think you're miscounting what I was saying though. I'm not necessarily saying I'm not necessarily saying that me writing my own code is necessarily faster, but it is, it is a lot. It is kind of like, it is again, weighing up those options and weighing up whether or not that's a, that is a feasible, you know, a feasible risk to be taking. And I mean, as I've said several times to that tonight, uh, today, whatever, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite adverse, adverse to to you know the the idea of trusting somebody else with something that's you know that I consider core, um, and I mean I and I but I've what I was trying to say was that over time what you end up doing is you end up building building up a, a level of experience and building up mm. a level of of um you know of of support whether that be in uh, you know, you're at the libraries that you're all you're building, or libraries that you all that exist and are provided by third parties that you you know and you kind of know them inside out. Yeah. Because you yeah. can get that way about about a library after using it for a mm. while. It just you know, it it takes time. And I think 
I think like that's just part of the equation. Like building up those, building up the libraries has probably taken me longer in the like you know longer time, mm. you know initially, but it co- saved me time over overall. Yeah, and I fully admit that I'm probably quite gung ho here in that you know spending a very minimal amount of time integrating with some third party service without too much thought could really burn me down the track. Like you oh, I think it absolutely will. <laughs> I'm just I'm just waiting for the day to come. And I'm, gonna I'm, be I'm just like, going to crawl in here and go, guys. <laughs> my like app that's now used by millions of people stopped working because I hit my API limit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't I worry. What you're, what you're saying though, Jake, is that you potentially got you know dozens and dozens and dozens of little companies all doing one thing, and presumably they've got some you know experts in there just in that one field, like web sockets or image parsing or whatever. And you as an individual are never going to be able to build up you know, as much skill level in those 20 different things to... Yeah. So what I'd rather do as fast is, as they are, I guess. ...is use theirs until I've discovered that that it's so crucial to my app that I need to then gain the expertise in it. So, you know what I mean? Like, very quickly integrate with an existing third-party service and use it until it gets to a point where, like, I need to own it because it's so core. Because it I think might the only not thing ever get out on that is, like, that's, for me, that's the fun part, is building out some of this stuff. Like, when we... Add some new stuff, sort of server side. That's part of the fun is figuring out, oh, how how can we hook this up? You know, what's changed since the last time we did this? What other libraries do we have? I actually enjoy that. Yeah, like it probably does take longer. I'm sure you could grab something, you know, that someone's already done, hook into their API, and that'd be way faster. But I don't know. I feel like that's part of the fun of development as well. Like at some point, you don't want to outsource everything. So I guess what you're doing is you're saying I enjoy working on the UI and the app, so I'm going to do all that myself but I don't really enjoy the server stuff or I'm not very good at it. I guess so I'm I, just going to you know, <laughs> give that to someone else. I enjoy uh, service orchestration, I, yeah. hook, hooking together all the other bits <laughs> to like create a, like, a workflow that, that does cool stuff. Um, I just have this uh, picture in my head of you with like a baton <laughs> running all these like web services. <laughs> I think I said that last week or the week before. All I do these days is put Cocoa Pods together and hit build. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm doing the same with Node packages. Yeah, you as well. just do it with backends. Just do Cocoa, yeah. Cocoa Pods <laughs> on the got, front end, Node packages on the back is end. Is it any wonder you guys <laughs> work no together? <laughs> yep. Who's writing all the code? I thought you were doing it, man. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you guys to build an entire app in that workflow app that came out on iOS. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been a really interesting conversation. I, would, I do too. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I If you'd asked me a little while ago how much of my time would I be thinking about backends? I wouldn't have anticipated that it's as much as I have been. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Like it's 10 years ago, I didn't feel that important. Even five years ago, it felt like you could build a, an offline Yeah, the, the landscape has changed. The landscape has changed. The world has changed. And I I, I think it's becoming more feasible to, to work with, with these things than it ever has been mm. previously. Um I mean, some of us, some of us aren't necessarily as gung ho as you. But then you either love stuff or you hate stuff. So there's that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think uh, the other part of it, Jake, is you're you tend to be doing a lot of client work as well, whereas we're yeah, kind of working on products. And we feel like, in some way, building our own stuff is a bit of a competitive advantage. Like, yeah, like an investment in your own I business. Think, I think it yeah, is. And not only that, but it is, it is the case that you get a lot of talented like front-end developers and a lot of those guys would be able to hook up, you know, Azure and blah, 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 and all that stuff like really well. I'm sure they could kind of put it all together. But then we feel like because we've got the back-end expertise, that's something not a lot of people do is like the front-end and the back-end and the yeah. whole thing. And I think you so get to do some cool things that maybe necessarily like wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a 
be real difference between what you do with the server-side component of a kind of a bespoke solution you're building for one client versus what you do if you're building a platform that you're going to have carriage of for the long term. Yeah. Like, um, you know, if, if we ended up creating like similar apps for similar clients going forward, then it might make sense to own more of the back end to sort of say, you know, a lot of the apps are going to have image recognition built in. So we should have some custom thing that integrates with Moodstocks to do it rather than, you know, my dodgy um, node package. Right. And I mean, a lot of the time we actually give, we generally quote both and tell them, you know, you can use PARS, it'll probably be free. It's a huge dependency, like we give it to them, or we can develop it for you for whatever amount of money. I think they pretty much always choose the <laughs> cheaper one. The platform <laughs> as a service. And that's the thing. I'm shocked that the clients will choose the cheaper one. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like if 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 you can do it at a lot, at a much cheaper and uh, faster faster rate, then it's it's better for both you and your client. Like mm. the, that, it's kind of a no brainer. It also depends on how long the thing's going to live. I mean, yeah. we're doing one at the moment that's for pretty much one event, and after that, the app probably won't exist. And so they need push notifications as if they're going to build their whole backend when there's like so many services that will just do that for you. It's just mm. for one day, no, basically. And like, yeah, those sort of services, you can spend send a million pushes within the free tier. Like, yeah. It's not. Um, we should probably also say that a lot of some of the work we do as well integrates with the other existing backends. So it's yeah, a common situation true. where, where and other people are probably in the same boat where you're developing you're developing a mobile app that has to talk to an existing backend that's another team's doing that. Yeah, that someone else is working on that's their own right. system or you know a, a proprietary system that is installed. You know, um, and I think. A lot of what we've discussed comes in there as well. Like it's thinking about how to code defensively, how to make it so that there's minimum dependency between your mobile app and that backend, so the interfaces are really clearly defined and that if you need to change it, you've got the flexibility to make those changes if you if you need to. Mm. I did have a little bit of pause in my gung-ho approach to integrating third-party node modules after I'd written one and published it to the in node package <laughs> manager directory. So now my node module is now there. Anyone can add it just by going npm install moodstocks. Um, you just claim the claim their name as well. I asked them. I asked them right. permission. Oh, I, okay. I, told, I asked moodstocks, <laughs> is there a node package? They said no. And I said, okay, I've written one. Do you mind if I call it? And, I'm and they didn't get back to him within five no, no, seconds. They come back <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you if you rename it, call it common moodstocks. Call it common moodstocks. So it's actually it's actually moodstocks yes. JS, and um they gave their permission. Uh, as long as I made <laughs> clear it's unofficial, which I have made clear. Um and it and it, please don't use it because um it barely functions, but it functions just enough for my use case. Well, this is the benefit of using third part like third party stuff that's open source that you can see the source of. Right. If somebody does decide to use it and they want to put it on their ser- on their server and you know use Moodstocks through it, they they Good. have access to the, the source, source code. and they could actually finish writing it properly. Yeah, you know, they could to... like well, they could you know provide you with with pull requests. And I mean, you've kind of opened yourself up to a, yeah, a, a whole other world, but. Uh, you know they can they can yeah. they can con- contribute to it if they if they so please. But it did like, make so me realize that there's a huge difference between being able to go npm install and knowing that the thing that you've just added is actually regress because mine is not, and yet people could use it. To be fair, I have like three or four cocoa pods that that anybody could type right. in just type in there. pod install 
certain static tables. <laughs> uh, See, that's or, kind of scary. But the thing about third-party things that scares me as well is it's sometimes it's really hard to know. Is this written by, um, you know, newly graduated from uni, yeah. Jake McMullen, with like, you know, he threw it together in 15 minutes or did some neckbeard spend like, you know, months pouring over it and... It's sometimes hard to tell. You just see the code, and the code's like six months old. Oh, and it's, like, okay, it's if a the good code, code. I have like, no idea. yeah, I'm certainly nowhere near familiar with JavaScript as I am other languages. So if I look at JavaScript, it's hard for me to know at a glance is it any good. It's like eh, it looks okay. I like I to look at the stars on GitHub. Oh yeah, yeah, that's sometimes helpful. Or how many commits has been and pulls yep. and issues. Yeah, and sort of thing. But sometimes you just don't know. You've got a third party library, and you're like, hmm, they would know. be good metrics good. with which to look at mine. Yeah, and realize zero stars. it's inadequacy. Zero stars. I'm the only person that's. I'm going to go and one commit. I'm going to go and set up a set um, up a a thing on AWS to basically go in and create GitHub accounts and star <laughs> that specific <laughs> no, repository. Don't do it. I'm going to no. do it. Third party code. I can't find you on GitHub because I can't spell your last name, Jake. You need to get an easy one. Yeah. Okay. I'll change it to Ivan. Burn. Jelly spells it at the end of every show. I do. I spell it every every show. Speaking of which, that's J M A C M U L I M. Why? Thank you. You know how to spell it. Oh, there you go. Except that's not his GitHub handle, so this does not help me. It's his everything J- handle. Jay or Jake? Just Jay. The, just the initial J. Ah, oh, that would explain it. Mm, so you weren't listening. I found him. Oh, look at that smiling face. It's very nice. He also <laughs> uses the same picture everywhere, I'm pretty sure. That was, that, that was you know, when, <laughs> I I, the same. when I had hair. You still have hair. Oh, I can okay. see it on your head. Was... Oh, wait a minute. Moodstock.js, two stars. Oh, really? Oh! Whoa. <laughs> yeah, let's click on that. That'd be the two guys that work at Moodstocks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's one guy that works at Moostocks and someone at Coessence. Someone else is using your, your library, oh, no. Jack. Oh, no. <laughs> the weight of responsibility. I bet Moostocks are going to link to it next. I told them not to. <laughs> but literally, Test. it does, it does do what I wanted it to do, which is it adds. Um, so Moostocks, as I said, is natural image recognition. And um, this will add an image to the Moostocks image recognition database. I do like the latest check-in. Fixed a bug where the callback wasn't being called. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What was the bug? I can't remember now. It it wasn't being called. You just didn't call it? (laughs) Probably. Oops. Forgot to bump the version number. Yeah. Great. I do that one. That one happens all the time for me. I also do things. I always have ones that are like, yeah, that didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Or like I got markdown syntax completely wrong. So my uh, about page on npm looks terrible so i'm just going to do another commit that's a really long commit message mm. yeah <laughs> 50 characters you know. so can we stop like give putting the world's attention on my my no, horrible attempt no. to write a node so github.com slash j mcmullen slash moose.js if you would like to read any of the things that we've talked about today and if you would like to go and star jake's moodstocks.js library you will find all of the links in the show notes which are on our website that's mobilecouch.co forward slash 49 because it's not the 50th episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Russell. We should have got fine. you on no, We should no, have got you on next fortnight when we would have been talking about follow-up. I, I tell you, why don't you come back on our, on our 100th episode? 
Oh, this is, in. This this is, is an no, invitation. No, no. We, we, we should do this. it. I've recorded this now. We need to get him back on the 99th episode. Or is it the 98th? Are we doing like doubles or one before? If you would like to get in touch with Russell, you can find him on Twitter. He is Rusty Shelf because in real life he's actually a Rusty Shelf. It's true. Yep. He also has a great blog. It's my favorite he blog. Does. It is a good blog. It's creatively named rustyshelf.org. Mm, very creative. <laughs> it took you, me all day to you, come up You're that. an organization in yourself. You can get in touch with Jake on Twitter as well. <laughs> he is on Twitter as Jay McMullen, as previously mentioned. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put out. I'm not gonna spell it out this time. You can just re- rewind. Go hit that. You know, go back thirty seconds button a few times, and you'll find it. Ben is also on Twitter. He's also in. He's also in Australia. This is amazing. I'm so excited. Just for this episode. Just for this episode. That makes me sad. Thanks for ruining my good day. He is Ben Trengrove, that's B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E, and I am on Twitter as well as Jelly Bean Soup. That's it. Software is a service. Woo! It was fun. Hey, Russell, I built you a back end for Pocket Weather London, and I haven't got my build yet. <laughs> <laughs> what? I heard that someone already built you a... Uh, he he a built you a today extension. Oh, yeah! Use that. Thanks, Jake. Anyway, until next time. We will see you, talk to you in two weeks' time. Until then, bye. Bye. Au revoir.